Well, again, good morning, Anthem Church. Thank you for joining us out there uh, on the internet. And so my name is Stan Hayek, going to be one of the pastors here. And so we are going to continue our study in Acts chapter 10. And so if you were with us last week, Luke, who was leading worship today, he was up preaching last week, Acts chapter 9. And the end of uh, Acts chapter 9 is a great sermon. If you want to listen to that or watch that, you can see that all online. But the main point of end of Acts 9 is that God draws people to himself by his goodness. And what we're going to see in chapter 10 today is really a continuation of that theme. That, and God is really doing something in Peter. He is easing Peter into the depths of his love and understanding for all mankind. And he's doing this in waves. So by just way of illustration, as a native Iowan, it's not often that I get to, to be at the beach, but one of the times that I was able to, to be at the ocean and experience the waves was at the end of a, a mission trip that I got to lead with some high school students. And so here's how this went. We went to, to Panama, leading a group of probably uh, around 14, 15 students. When we went out to the bush of Panama, I mean, no electricity, nothing like that, and we were there for 12 days. It was hot, sweaty uh, work, and perhaps one of the worst parts was about day two, a lizard crawled into my duffel bag and died. Now, whether he crawled there or was placed there uh, by some troublesome teenager, never know, but all that to say, I'm out there in the heat of Panama, and my clothes smell like death. I mean, this lizard Something was wrong with him. And so here we are at the end of this 12 days of, of serving out there. It is hot. We are just, we are ready to be home. But the last day was beach day where we got to go to like enjoy the beach before we came home. And I remember showing up on, on beach day and we're like getting ready to enjoy some water, enjoy the ocean. And we show up and it is a storm. I mean, just tremendous wind and waves. All the locals had cleared out. But us Iowegians were like, we're not going to be deterred, right? We are going to enjoy us some water. And so we show up, and I remember at first, like, you're kind of walking into the ocean on the beach, and you get about, like, shin bone deep, and then the wave, like, would hit you and kind of rock you. You're like, well, that was fun. That's not like your normal swimming pool in Traer, Iowa, all right? Hadn't experienced that before. And then you go a little bit deeper, you get waist deep. And the way these waves were coming in, they just hit you. In fact, like when you got up to your chest, the waves would come in and just smash us down into the ground. In fact, the guys would like run and kind of ankle deep, and then the waves would come in. And if you just leaned in a little bit, they would like push your head down and flip you under the water. And I feel like I share all that to say, Peter right now, I feel like he is getting hit with waves of understanding from the Lord. And we saw at the end of Acts chapter 9 that he's staying at Simon, who is this tanner's house, which would have been an unclean profession. He's around dead animals all the time. And I feel like Peter is there, and it was a big deal for him to associate and stay with such a person. And I imagine Peter could, could be thinking to himself, it's like, man, I'm doing it. I'm really loving people like God's loving people feel like if we're looking on, though, knowing what's about to come next, it's like, Peter, dude, you're ankle deep right now in your understanding of God's love, which is like an ocean, and you are about to get rocked. That's what we're going to see 
in Acts chapter 10 that God's love is not limited. It is not shallow. And it is not limited to a nation. But God's love is for the world. And so we are going to see that that is the main point of today's passage. And the application for us is as we want to be conformed to the image of God, if we want to follow him, then we need not settle for ankle-deep understanding of God's love or for shallow demonstration of that love to others. And so we're going to dive in, pun intended, to Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Okay, we're going to stop there. Caesarea, this is north of Jerusalem, roughly 40 miles from where Peter is at in Joppa. And we get introduced to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. That, and so you're like, what, what's a Gentile? I want to help you understand this. In some ways, Jewish people today, or Jewish people back then are like Texans today. What I mean is they're a proud breed. If you've ever met a Texan, I just had the opportunity to go uh, for the holidays down to Texas, and I came across this map. It's going to show up on the screen. This map is what I saw, and you've got Texas and not Texas, right? That's how a Texan views the USA, right? And I know there's some native Texans uh, looking at this, Allie Hedinger, Ashland. You're like, yeah, that looks about correct, right? There's Texas, and then there's not Texas, and, and here's the thing, is that's how Jewish people saw the world. It's like, you're either a, a, a Jew or you're not. And if you're not, that's called a Gentile, okay? And so the only other category was like a, a Sumerian, which that was a Jewish person that married a Gentile, and, and that was completely unacceptable in their mind because it, it, was, it was Jewish or bust. And here we have Cornelius. He is a, not a Jew. He is a Gentile. And, he, and we know this as, as you continue studying. He's a part of the Italian cohort. This would have been an archery division within the Roman army, roughly 600 to 1,000 archers. And he's a centurion within that group. We know a sentry is 100. A centurion would have been a commander, a rank within the Roman army, of approximately someone who oversaw roughly 100 troops. And we see that, that being a centurion in the, in the Roman army Yet he has like this near impossible combination in terms of his, who he is. He's this commander. He's a leader. He has this strength. Yet he uses his strength to do what in verse 2? To give alms generously. That, that would be a word for like giving those that were poor, giving them food, clothes, money. That's what he does with his strength. He prays continually, it says in verse 2, humbly exalting God, not himself. And he leads his household to do the same. And all of this, again, from a Roman Gentile. He is decisively worshiping and walking in obedience to the God of the Jewish people, those that, that their nation had conquered. But yet he said, man, their God, that is my God. Can you imagine how perplexed some of his subordinate soldiers would have been seeing their commander, their leader, Cornelius, in this way. As perhaps he would take his lunch 
and give it to those that, that were poor. Can you imagine Cornelius, this, this mountain of a man, commander, walking along and seeing someone who's poor, stopping, looking them in the eye, and reaching in and giving them money. A man that when he had big decisions, his soldiers would observe him stop and just pray and ask God for guidance. A man that would pray for his children, who would pray for the poor, who would pray for his soldiers by name as he prayed continually, day after day. And so he established this reputation. We're going to see later in verse 22 that Cornelius, a centurion, an upright man, was God-fearing, who was well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. Cornelius didn't have to talk himself up. He had a whole nation of people that knew him as such a man. And not only, not only him alone, but he led his whole household to do the same. Again, he used his strength and his power to protect and build up even the most vulnerable. And it's an incredible snapshot of what biblical masculinity ought to look like. And all this from a Gentile. And one who is yet to establish a relationship with Jesus, but that's about to change, verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, and that's just measured when the sun comes up nine hours later. And so about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? I just want to time out briefly. Some of y'all had this image of angels being like Cupid, like a little baby that's overweight and has a diaper on. You need to change your image because here we have an, an army centurion that is, he is in terror when he beholds this angel of the Lord. And so in this spot of terror, he says, what is it, God? And the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. And he is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. You might be encouraged to know that God is drawing people to himself. God is drawing Cornelius to himself. Do you know where the fastest number of growing Christians is at today? Do you know where that's happening? You're like, well, is it Georgia? It's not in the USA. I'll tell you that. The fastest growing in terms of percentages of Christians in the world today is happening in Iran, in Afghanistan. Two places where you probably wouldn't think, but, but in Iran, there's been a 19.6% growth in Christianity, according to Operation World. And in Afghanistan, 167 I know some of you are like, I don't know about the Olympics. Where's the USA come in? Oh, we're on the list, 30 from the bottom at 
And I share that to just say that, that God is working. He is drawing people to himself. And say, in fact, Operation World, they say, man, there's a political and economical social frustrations that are happening there, which is increasing people's materialism and hedonism. And it says that the next generation is seeing this. And they have these unmet longings in their heart that are being met in Jesus Christ. And so there is just this exponential growth in Christianity happening in Iran, in Afghanistan. Perhaps you were completely unaware of how God is moving amongst the nations, drawing people to himself as he was in the days of Cornelius, as he drew Cornelius to himself. Which is fitting because in John 12, verse 32, it says, Jesus said, I will draw all people to myself. We sing the song, often that anthem, Waymaker. But it says, even when we don't see God, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. And God is working. And why I want to just camp on that a little bit is our failure to look outside of our individual lives, our church, our city. If we fail to look outside, we're only going to see what God is doing in part and fail to appreciate and worship him for what he is doing in full. It was just this week I had the opportunity to talk to one of the workers we sent overseas two years ago as a young church. We sent a beautiful young couple, and they've been serving God. We've sent summer teams to partner along with them. And throughout the course of their time there, they're seeing people come to trust Jesus. And recently, they started a small gathering, a church, of those local people in a predominantly Muslim country, people that are professing Jesus and wanting to worship him because God was drawing those people to himself. And God started the work and prayers that he would continue in it, and he, he, he must because those workers this, this week were forced to catch a flight home given the pandemic, the visa trouble that they've kind of been having, and they are back home. The prayer is that God would continue the work that he started in their lives. And I'm saying it is to our joy to participate with God. But let's not make the mistake who's really driving the work. See, God is preparing hearts. God sends Cornelius a vision of an angel. And he's still giving visions today. And so if we, Anthem Church, are going to see just 1% of Columbia reached, it's going to be because God goes before us. Romans 3, it says this in verses 10 and 11, as it is written, no one is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So this understanding, if they're going to come to know him, God's got to do the work. See, we can plant and we can water, but God ultimately is going to make the gospel grow in their lives. And so God is doing something here. He is drawing Cornelius to himself, but he's, he's also doing something in Peter's heart. Forty miles down the road, God hasn't forgotten about Peter, who is perhaps ankle deep in his understanding of God's love, and God is about to hit him with a wave of understanding in regards to the vastness of his love. And so we see that in verse 9, we continue our narrative. The next day, as they were on their journey in approaching the city, that is the men that Cornelius had sent, 
Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour, so noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. In verse 19, it says, while Peter was, was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. As the narrative continues, we see that, that he goes to Cornelius, in verse 25, and when Cornelius met Peter, he fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But, but God has shown me that I should not call any persons common or unclean. See, Peter's being hit with waves here in his understanding. He's, at the end of nine, he's staying with this Jewish tanner, Simon, and he's saying, man, I can stay with this person and I can be, it doesn't matter if they're deemed as unclean. And then God starts something else in regards to food. Saying, when we talk about unclean, you don't need to refer to, to uh, bacon as unclean anymore. And Peter's got to hear that three times. He's like, wait, I, I can eat bacon? Like pork? I can do that? God's like, yeah. It's like, whoa, that opens up a whole new thing. I mean, there's just a number of things that they were not permitted to eat. Uh, they're not having shrimp. They're not having the bacon. And there's certain, all these different animals. And God's like, I made them all. Enjoy. And Peter, he's, he's pondering that. We see he's, he's thinking about that. It's like, man, now what are they going to fix me for lunch? I might change my order, right? And so he gets that level of understanding. And then the men show up. And God is working. And he gets this understanding. This new wave is like, wait. God is working in common, in unclean people? Whoa. It's not just food, but, but common and unclean people? God's working in them 40 miles from here? And then this next understanding that he gets, God's like, uh, don't call them unclean and common, right? Don't say that about my animals and don't say that about my people. And so Peter gets that understanding. And so he's showing up and he's just, he's getting hit with these waves of kind of understanding. And Peter, brace yourself, you're about to be buried. Because what happens is Cornelius then in verses 33, uh, 30 through 33, he begins to share how God sought him out by name and spoke to him. And imagine this wave of understanding that comes to Peter is like, wait, God's not just king of the Jews, but he's king of the entire world, all mankind. And so Peter opened his mouth after Cornelius. In verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Meaning that this, this, these people that are gathered together, this centurion, this commander of the army that has conquered your people, it was that role, the centurion, who shoved the sword in the side of Jesus to just ensure that he was dead. That man is not your enemy. He is your brother in Jesus Christ. This wave of understanding that starts to hit Peter, that God's kingdom is more vast than Peter could have wrapped his mind around. He's, starting to, he's getting this understanding in 34, and it's hitting him like a wave. And it's just starting. Peter is getting his world rock, and it's going to go further. But I just want to have a pastoral moment. Because I feel like there's a group out there, individuals out there, that others have written you off. And I want you to know that while others might write you off and, and deem you to be unclean or common, God has not. That is not his heart. Some of you have been written off by your own parents through past relationships, through classmates, family, co-workers, just in their interactions with you. They deem you to be unbroken, unworthy of their love. And the reality is, is that you might not ever win their approval. Recently getting the opportunity to just share Jesus with an individual. And the biggest hurdle in their mind right now, this biggest lie that they have yet to overcome is this, that they're telling themselves, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not worthy of love from others or from God. And, and so I guess what I need to do right now is I need to get good and I need to work on some of these things. And then maybe others can love me. Then maybe God will love me. And that's the lie that they believe is I'm just, un, I'm just common. I'm just unclean. Damaged and broken goods. I want you to know that while others' love for you might be conditional, God's love is unconditional. That's not the heart of, of God that we see here is this conditional love, but we see this unconditional love showing no partiality for all of those. You're created in his image, dearly love. God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Man, other religions, it's about what you do, what you do. God, it's about what has been done, the finished work of Jesus Christ. That he died for the whole world to redeem us back to the Lord. That if we would ask him to forgive our sins, we can be made right relationship with him. And if we trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if you're in Jesus, you're a new creation. Romans, you go on in verse 8, they say, we are adopted sons and daughters. That means we have God as our father. That relationship that we have, and you go on to say that if there's nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're asking, am I of value? The answer is yes. 
You are so valuable in the sight of the Lord that he would send his son Jesus to die for you, to redeem you back to relationship with him. I want to be clear, and that is the only way that we can be restored in relationship with him is through Jesus. It's not about what you do. It's about what has been, what has been done. And so Peter is going to preach that very thing to Cornelius and all that were with him, saying, I want you to know about Jesus. And so we, we pick it up in, in verse 38. He says, I want you to know that, that Jesus of Nazareth it was with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. In verse 43, it says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It is that, it is at that point, that understanding, that truth that begins to, to hit those that are hearing it. That Jesus, if you believe in him, you can receive forgiveness for those sins. And it's verse 44, that while he was saying those things, that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had been with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles? For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold the water of baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. See, they heard the word. That was the key there. They heard the word, this understanding, this truth. That Jesus died for his sins, but they didn't, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. What we just celebrated at Easter. And they have this understanding that God has pursued them in a relationship. And he, he just, and, and I want to just, might seem like I'm going off track here, but just bear with me. See, at this point for Gentiles, they were kind of put out from the Lord. In fact, there's a, a picture of the temple. See, the temple was the place where they went to experience the presence of God. And so as that kind of fills your screen, the temple's where they went. And you, you have all these different courts that they could go to, the inner court. And you don't have to look at all the words, but, but in that sanctuary, that was the Holy of Holies. And there was this veil. And behind the veil, that was to be the presence of God. And this is where they would go to do sacrifices. And this is for people to really get to experience God. Gentiles, the closest they could get is the outer court, the outside of all that. They are not getting anywhere near the presence of God. But now, because of what Jesus has done, they are filled with the presence of God. Before they couldn't get close to the presence of God, now they have God within them. And the Jewish people that are with them, they are just floored that God would want to do that. And they are amazed. Cornelius was known as a good man, but he was saved because he met a better man, Jesus Christ. 
And the response is they invite God into their lives for the forgiveness of their sins. Their response, which is fitting the command that was given to us, they trust him and then they're baptized into the family of God saying, Jesus, I trust your death, your burial, and your resurrection. So they repent of their sins, believe, and they are baptized. The main point of of Acts 10 we see is God's love is not limited. It is not limited to a nation. No, God's love is for the world. And as followers of him, being conformed to his image, we need to expand our love for others. That is to say, as as we've been shown the value by the Lord, we need to show value to others. Just recognize, though, that, that some, in reality, have grown pretty comfortable with living in kind of social isolation. Is that you? You're like, honestly, this... Self-quarantine thing's not all too bad. Because I think at the heart of his understanding, like being around people is pretty hard. Relationships take work. That is just a universal truth. Even people who you really love, that relationship takes work. Some of the married people out there are like, "Mm, amen, right? It takes work. Work, relationships take work. And I know it, it, for some, I'll grant you, for some it takes a whole lot more work than others. I get that. But for everybody, relationships take work. And now there's like, hey, you can't be in a relationship with people. You're like, oh, no. But I want to challenge this. Because I think some of the thought process is, surely if God wants us to be in relationship with people, it should come a little bit easier than this. It should be more natural to be in relationships with others. How natural was it for for Peter to get news and travel 40 miles on foot to go meet with these Gentiles? How natural, how easy was it for him to do what was unlawful for a Jew to do at that time, which was to enter their home? And again, enter the home of of, of a soldier, Those that would have been behind the orders to crucify Jesus. And then not only that, to proclaim truth to them and to see what would have been thought of as an enemy become a brother and those sisters in Jesus. I just want to say, I don't think that was natural. I don't think that was easy. Imagine that takes work to be able to, to love in that way. And as we seek to, to apply this, I just want to tell you, it's going to take work to love like God loves, to see people how God sees people. And I know a number out there, you're like, I would, I do, I love all people, all races, all creeds, all colors. My question would be, well, what about those with opposing political parties and ideas? Do you love them? Those who differ in thought when it comes to uh, certain constitutional rights and amendments and all that, like, do you love them? Do you be like, oh, I love them. I just think they're idiots, right? I, I love them. I just, I just disagree. I think they're dumb for holding those views. You ever said that? 
That sounds an awful lot like the the unclean or common language that Peter is being corrected for. Acts 17, verse 5 says, be careful. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. The language you use when you say something like that to somebody created in the image of God, you're saying something about the creator. And so I understand, I'm not at all saying that, that, that we can't differ when it comes to uh, political parties and ideas and beliefs. But we do not need to reject the person in order to reject the position. We can reject people's position without having to, to downgrade and diminish the person. And I just want to camp on that a little bit because believe it or not, once we get on the backside of COVID-19, we move right into a presidential election. Somebody just threw up in their living room hearing that. I am so sorry. <laughs> it's like the reality, like that is what is, it, that is coming. I'm like, we need to learn this, that we can disagree with people's positions, but still love and respect them as people creating the image of God. Amen? Show them value in how we talk, in what we post, how we interact. God made them too. And so we can interact. And so what I would want us to pray in terms of application is we understand the vastness of God's love, that it's not limited, but it is like an ocean. And we want to just continue to go deeper in this. The dangerous prayer that I would invite us to pray is, God, would you help me see what you see? Would you help me love how you love? The combination of both those things. Help me see what you see. That's a dangerous prayer. God, help me love how you love. Remember being in college and and really wrestling with with purity and and just needing to bounce my eyes and and having lustful thoughts, and I remember somebody shepherding me, saying, "Man, when you see that young woman dressed in such a way, so provocative, in such a way to get the attention of others, say, I want to challenge what you see." As this shepherd was shepherding me, he said, I don't see a stumbling block. What I see is someone longing for affirmation, someone longing for attention, and they're willing to take it in part from, from other men what God would long to give them in full. Like, what do you see? And it's starting to change, man. God, help me see what you see. Help me see what you see when, when others would see some young, arrogant, obnoxious young man who just running his mouth and just has to win the competition. Do you see just a, a punk? Or do you see someone that is just longing to hear, well done? I affirm you. You don't need an intramural t-shirt to say you're of value and worth. And needing to hear from his heavenly father, that I love you, that I accept you. Man, I don't want to settle for just seeing the symptoms of sin and being just so put off by that, but I want to, I want to challenge us. I, I believe we're challenged to, to get past the, the common and unclean and want to see the root of what is prompting such behavior, to get to the root of these symptoms. And so that's why I say, man, God, would you help us see what you see? So we can see that and then, then we can go from there. God, help us love how you love. And what would God say to that young woman? What would God say to that, 
that young man. And so that is why I believe the prayer is that. Help us see what you see. Help us love how you love and not just settle for the outward, but to dig deeper. And I say it's a dangerous prayer to pray. And honestly, I'd probably encourage you to pray that God would graciously answer that in waves like he did for Peter. Because if the Lord gave us his eyes to see and his heart to love, I think we would just explode. I honestly don't think we could handle just having a full dose of the heart of God right out the gates. I want to be conformed to the image. I want to be sanctified to become more like Jesus in that way. But to get it all at once, I just think we would drown in that understanding because God's love is so big. It is so vast. It goes beyond our individual lives, our little church, our city, but his love for the world and his desire that all should come to know him and put their trust in him. Man, I want God to do that in our hearts as a church. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the, the band up. But I want to give us an opportunity to apply this text by praying that very dangerous prayer. And for some of you, the first prayer that you need to, to pray is one that, that, that you would receive the love that God has for you. Perhaps you've never allowed the love of God to infiltrate your life because you think, I'm not worthy. I'm on, i got to earn this. And if you've never asked God to forgive you for those shortcomings, that sin that creates distance between you and the Lord, the prayer I would invite you to pray this morning is, God, please forgive me. Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. Because again, what we see in the text, Cornelius all being a good guy, he would spend eternity apart from God if it weren't for the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so if you have not started a relationship with Jesus, I would invite you to do that today by simply acknowledging your sin before God and inviting him into your life. And for those that have trusted Jesus, those that say, yeah, I have a relationship with him. I would invite us to pray the dangerous prayer that God would challenge us as we're been socially isolated, distant, that as we begin to kind of reemerge from this, that God would give us eyes to see and hearts to love like he loves. And so I want to invite you to pray that dangerous prayer. And I just anticipate that even as you pray that now, that perhaps God is going to start laying things on your heart. That God is going to start coming to you like he came to Peter and say, hey, okay, that means this. And I would invite you, church, to say yes. Because in doing so, in walking in obedience to God, it is truly to his glory and our joy. And I imagine as Peter stayed those couple days with those, that whole household, I imagine it is a party, truly to his joy, to see them walking in obedience. And so please, I just invite you now, as the band begins to play, to just pray that God would expand our ability to see and our hearts to love.
Just bow your heads. Just pray now that dangerous prayer. see in part, would you help us better see in full the vastness of your love, that you don't see those created in your image as unclean and unworthy and distant, but Lord, your desire is that they should come to repentance and to know you, and so you patiently wait, and Lord, we just recognize if this city is going to be reached, if the nations are going to be reached, if the gospel is going to go forth, God, we just acknowledge that it has to be from you alone. You got to go before as the way maker and you got to move in hearts. And God, we trust that as you did it in that day, you can do it again. And so God, we just proclaim together where we're at in our homes, we just proclaim that you are the way maker. You are the God of the whole world everyone and everything in it. And God, we just ask and we beg that you would move in lives and draw people to you. For those looking for things in part, that affirmation, that security, what they are finding in part in the world, God, would they find it in full in you? And so God, we invite you and we beg that you would help people draw people to you, Jesus. And Lord, we just surrender ourselves as followers, as Peter, to be willing to do the hard work. And if that caused hesitation in your heart right now, I just want to push your eyes to the cross. Are you unwilling to give and share what it is that you first received? beg you to repent of that rejection there, that thing that welled up in your heart, please repent of that. That you could honestly pray, Lord, I'm willing to forgive others as you've forgiven me. I'm willing to pursue others as you've pursued me. Would you declare that this morning and pray that dangerous prayer that God would help you see what he sees, help you love how he loves. Lord, that is our prayer and ask that you would continue to grow something in us this morning for your glory. Amen.